Praise the Lord. Anybody in this place love Jesus tonight? <laughs> Woo, glory to God. It's good to have y'all. Man, I mean, we got a family over here that come from Maryland tonight to Bible study. And that's something? Praise the Lord. That's really, they really come to see their son and grandbaby, you know. I stretched that a little. <laughs> you know, I mean, it sounded good that they come all the way from Maryland to come to Bible study, but... <laughs> Uh, but it's nice that since they come down to see their son and daughter-in-law and their grandbaby, that they come to Bible study, that's for sure. Praise the Lord. So, goodness. It's good to have you all tonight. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here to talk about our favorite subject, Jesus. The King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of gods. It is absolutely, magnificently wonderful to have you tonight. All right, Dave, are we ready back there? We're on board. Praise the Lord. I didn't know. I see him climbing over the walls and up and down. I didn't know what we were ready to go or not. So, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for the beauty of this day. We thank you, Lord, that this day you made it for us. And, Lord, thank you that all the obstacles we had today, we became more than conquerors and more than overcomers in every one because we're your sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you that we are the children of God. And we thank you that all these promises in your Word are for us and that we can do everything you said we can do. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for revealing these things to us as your sons and daughters. And may you use us mightily tonight as we read and study your Word. May we take it to heart that it's to us and that we can do what you say. And Lord, I praise you and thank you for your mighty word. And I thank you that you're our God and our Lord and our Father and our brother, our attorney and everything. And you, because of what you did on the cross, you made us more than conquerors to reign and rule with you. And we thank you and praise you for it. Now bless us tonight as we read and study the word. Use us mightily for your kingdom. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Does anybody, uh, I don't normally do this on Tuesday night, but does anybody have a praise report that's so good you can't wait? You've got to tell what Jesus is doing. If you've got a great praise report, we'll let you give it. None? Okay, praise God. We'll just go on tonight. I know Jesus has done something good in all of your life. Uh, even every day, he does something good. Uh, he's so awesome, so wonderful. But let's turn in the book of John. We're going to continue on last uh, Tuesday night. By the way, I might say, too, that everybody probably knows next Tuesday night. What is next Tuesday night? What is it? Fourth of July. Now, do you think we're going to have Bible study next Tuesday night? <laughs> no, we're not going to have Bible study next Tuesday night. You can't believe that. This is something Deborah can't believe that I'm not going to have Bible study on Tuesday night. But actually, we're going to close the Minister Center Tuesday. We hate to do this, but we're going to give the folks a day off. You know, and so I'm going to take the day off, too. I'm going to rest and relax and do something. But I figure most of y'all will be out doing something with your families and everything. Anyway, so next Tuesday night, we will not have Bible study since it is the 4th of July. Now, normally, like Deborah says, I can't believe that because I have Bible studies. I don't care what the day is except for Christmas. You know, uh, that's about the only day we take off, isn't it? And we don't have a healing school on Christmas Day uh, when it does fall on that. 
and it has a couple of times. But anyway, for a change, next Tuesday night, we will not have Tuesday night Bible study because it's the 4th of July. But Sunday will be normal, the next Sunday will be normal, and the next Tuesday night, everything will continue on as planned after that. But let's anyway, let's come to John 15, and we're going to start, what, honey? Yeah, yeah, Healing School will be July the 8th right here. It'll be the second Saturday of the month. It will be normal. We only have the Healing Schools. We've dropped the Healing Schools back to one Saturday a month, which is the second Saturday. We did do two, the second Saturday and the fourth Saturday. But it's taking a tremendous toll on me to teach two four-hour Healing Schools a month, four two-hour Bible studies a month, and four hour and a half or two-hour Sunday afternoon services. It's just, I mean, with everything else we have to do, it's just not enough hours in the day for me to get it all done, plus everything else I have to do for the ministry. So, anyway, uh, I've just got to where I've got to slack off just a little. You know, if you, if you want to be busy, you know, just do what I do, you know, and uh, I stay very busy. Now, I've caught a lot of flack from some of the staff in my church that wants me to take a Sabbath. I've not done that, you know, at all. I, I work, Cheryl and I work 24-7 all the time. We, my staff even contacted me the other day and said, Do you realize that you and Cheryl have gone 18 weeks without one single day off? And you all work day and night. You know, we're out there till. Midnight, one, two, you know, uh, you know, we work far. In fact, this morning, uh, day before yesterday, yesterday I worked till five o'clock in the morning, and then this morning I was went to bed at one. You know, so anyway, uh, <clears throat> we had a busy day today. Uh, we had a lot of things. Eldon and I worked on a truck all day today. We went out to start off. We were going to haul gravel to make a road and. He graciously comes out sometimes and spends a day with me and gives me a day of labor, and he's a tremendous asset to our ministry. And he'll do anything, whether it be on the phone lines or whatever. But uh, I had a truck I needed to haul some gravel to build a road, and uh, he went out to check it out this morning, and he said, uh, the oil won't touch a stick. I said, I can't believe that. I just filled it up and drove up the slide hill back and hauled two loads of gravel last week, and I said it ought to still be full. So we put four quarts in it, and it still wouldn't touch a stick. We put four more in it, and it was full. But it, I thought, wow, where did eight quarts of oil go, you know, in two trips? So we cranked it up and let it run until oil started pouring out. And then we found out that the turbocharger had an ear broke off of it, and it was leaking out mundered. And so that took us all day to get that turbocharger off and get it to a turbo shop to have a new center section put in it. And so we were busy today, all day. When we got back, I got back just in time to jump into the shower, you know, and put on some clothes and come down here. So I've had a really good day today. Praise the King. <laughs> Thank God that at my age I can still get over in there and uh, over in the back of those engines and bend over all day long and work. And I thought, Lord, I, I can really still enjoy working because I've taken care of my flesh and if you don't believe crawling over that thing, and finally by the end of the afternoon, I did have to get me three or four big old rags put on the alternator because my knee was getting tired before I was stretched out over the back of that engine, that big old diesel, trying to get back there uh, to get that turbo off. But anyway, we had lots of fun, didn't we, Elvin? We had lots of fun working together, praise God. But anyway, let's go now and see what we can do 
and what God requires us in John 15, I, I want you to know that in the book of John, there's some of the most awesome promises in the Word of God. You know, and I, I don't know why I didn't believe these all of my life, but I certainly didn't. But anyway, in John 15:1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. And he says, every branch in me. Now, this is a statement the king made to the church. This is to you and me. It's kind of scary because we don't want to believe this. But it's in the Word of God. And he says, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, who are the branches? We are. Where is the fruit produced? On the branch. So if you are a branch, he's given you an example. If he's the vine and you and I are the branches, and that's what he says, we better be concerned about producing fruit for the kingdom of God. That is, if you want to live. You know, I don't know about you, but some people may say, well, I don't care if I live or die. Okay, well then, if you don't care if you live or die, that's okay. You don't have to produce fruit for the kingdom. But if you want to die early, or as a Christian, just stop producing fruit for the kingdom. Now, you know, I mean, I read this, and I read it for years, but I really didn't believe that God would do what he said here. It's like many other places in the Bible, he made statements that I really didn't believe the king would do what he said. But about 10 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago, I had an extremely good friend that had been a great man of God. I mean, he had been a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, and all kinds of good stuff. And he had been in good health. He had married two women in his life, and he couldn't make it with either one of them. And so he divorced both of them, uh, or they divorced him, whatever. I don't know which way it was there. But all I know, they couldn't make it, like so many people today. And so then finally he met another lady, and she had never been married. And he met this lady and started going with her. And it wasn't long. They decided to get married. And she said she was a Christian. But when they got married, she told him she really didn't want to go to church. And they really didn't have to go to church to serve God. We could do that from home. So now he listened to her. And he stopped producing fruit for the kingdom. Now he was 45 years old about when this happened. Anyway, at 45 years of age, he stopped producing fruit for the kingdom. Y'all come on in. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, here they are over here. Yeah, they're over here. Come on. Yeah, just come right on in. You didn't lose them. They're not very far away. <laughs> Raise the Lord. But that's good that I hollered at her. That way y'all got to see. And she didn't have to go back out of the car and look. But anyway... At 45 years of age, he married another woman, and the woman didn't want to go to church. So she enticed him to stop going to church and doing all the things that he had been doing for the kingdom of God. Well, for 10 years, they were married 10 years, and they just did what they wanted to do. He just got had a normal job in town, and he worked. And then at about 55 or so, he came down with the symptoms of something uh, that seemed to be very bad, and he got the feeling bad. They took him to a hospital, and they checked him, and he had brain tumors. And they sent him to San Antonio, and they took the top of his head off, and the doctor took the big ones out. But he said when he took his head, opened it up, 
there was so many huge brain tumors in it that big ones and little ones, the doctor just took the biggest ones out and sewed him back up and said, there's no hope except God intervened in this case. This man's going to die. Want to see what we don't understand? God has already intervened in the case. The king is in control. He knows what's going on. But it's like we don't believe this. Well, when I heard about it, well, I went down and took a day off since he had been an extremely good friend of mine. And when I walked into the room where they'd sent him back to die, when I heard he was going to die, I thought, man, I'll go down and get this friend of mine healed with what I've learned about the Word. So I go down there, and I tried my best to talk to him all day long about the Word. But to no avail. You know, he, never, he couldn't talk to me. He was just virtually sitting there in a chair, semi-conscious. That's all. He couldn't talk. At the end of the day, when I, of course, when I went in, I met this woman. You know, when I saw her, I said, who are you? And she said, well, I'm his wife. I said, oh, I didn't know he'd got married again. She said, yeah, I married him about ten years ago. I said, well, good. I said, he's a good man. She said, oh, yeah, he's a great man. I said, had you been married before? No. He's my first and only husband. I knew he had been married twice before. I said, where do you all go to church? And she told me. And I said, how many times have you been? I don't know why I said that. And she said, oh, five or six. And I said, you've only been to church five or six times this year? Oh, she said, no, Thurman. We've only been to church five or six times in the ten years we've been married. I said, ma'am, the Word of God says you're supposed to go to church. She said, well, see, I don't believe you have to go to church to worship God. Well, see, it don't matter what you think. God's not going to judge. He ain't got a special deal for you. He's got a deal, and it's written in the Word of God. You know, and he don't have special deals for nobody. He's made the Word of God the deal, and you either go by his deal or you don't get it. So that's how simple it is. God made the deal. We read it, obey it, or we suffer the consequences. Well, he had left church because of his wife. And after ten years, the Lord allowed these brain tumors to come upon him. And, of course, I didn't understand, you know, all this at the time. But I went ahead and spent the day with him and prayed with him. I anointed him with oil. I did everything I knew to do. On Monday and on Thursday, this guy died. Now, in his mid-50s. Well, I went back to his funeral on Sunday, and on the way home, I was by myself, and for three hours on the way home, I talked to God. I said, Lord, I want to know where I messed up. I said, Lord, I've seen you heal so many people. Now, see, if you've had the privilege to hear God's voice as many times as he had talked to me, I know he talks to you. And I know that many of you have heard his voice also. And so I was talking to the Lord, Lord, i got to know what I did wrong. I know that something happened here because I've seen you heal lots of people when I pray for them, but this man didn't get healed. So I want to know, Lord, what did I do wrong? Was it something that I have a sin in my heart that I didn't know about, the reason you didn't answer my prayer? Because he said, if you hide iniquity or sin in your heart, I will not hear your prayer. So when you come to the king, you better make sure you've got your act straightened up and your sins repented if you want to get God to hear you. And all of us want him to hear us. But if you've got an unconfessed sin in your life, he says, I don't hear your prayer. I mean, he told it to us in two places. In Psalm 66, 18, he said that. And in John 9, 
John chapter 9, I believe it's verse 31, but I know it's in John 9, 31 or 34. I forget exactly what verse it is in John 9. But he says that God does not hear the prayer of a sinner. Well, now, if you're a child of God and you've done something wrong, you're a sinner. You know, and if you haven't repented of that sin, you're a sinner and he's not going to answer your prayer. Well, I couldn't understand why God had not heard my prayer. And so I asked him over and over and over. I said, Lord, I've got to know what happened. Well, after about three hours, two and a half to three hours, I said, Lord, I've got to know what I did wrong. And thank you for the answer. Don't ever ask him for nothing without thanksgiving. Well, after about two and a half or three hours, he spoke to me just as clear. He said, Son, the problem on this case was not yours, but the answer to your question is in John 15, 2. Well, I went to this scripture because at that time I didn't have John 15, 2 committed to memory. And I read it and he says, every branch in me. Not just some of you. Every branch in me that produces or bears no fruit, no fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit... He prunes it that it may bring forth more fruit. I mean, did your Bible say that? Are you reading along with me in your word? Am I telling you a lie or did God's word say that? If God's word says that, who's it written to if he says every branch in me? Is that to you and me? Is there any exceptions to the rule? None. Now then, who knows how much time he's going to give us if we stop bearing fruit? Is he going to give you a day? I think he's more merciful than that. A week? I think he's more merciful than that. Maybe a month? How many did he give this friend of mine? How many years? Ten. Would you consider that pretty merciful? I mean, I can just see Deborah sitting here now. If she had somebody that was an extremely good employee that was working for her and really done a good job for her for ten years... And then they decided to take a 10-year vacation. I'm sure she'd just keep right on paying them. No, I don't think she's that merciful. You might pay them for a week or two. But you ain't going to do it for 10 years, are you? No. Our mercy don't go near where God's does. But he continued to provide for this man and his wife for 10 years. And then I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, when he told me this, I looked. I said, Lord, you cut him off? He said, yes. I said, Lord, it wasn't his fault. It was that woman. It was her fault. It was that woman. She's the, he was producing fruit for you. He was doing great things for the kingdom. And then he married that woman. And I said, Lord, that woman got him out of church. I said, why didn't you take her out instead of him? He said, I didn't put her in charge of the family. I put him in charge of the family. You know what he tells the men today? That story is the same. Every man has been ordained by God to be the leader of his family. And you know what the women's job is? Is to be the wife and to submit to the husband. And you know how many women I know do that? Not very many. I'm going to tell you today, the average woman has lost the principles of the Word of God of what her job is on this earth. I'm telling you, the average man has lost the principles of what his job is. 
in the kingdom of God. Why do you think we have all the problems in the church we have? Why do you think we have the problems with people that come to church and their families are broken up, their children are on drugs, and everything else? Why do you think we have those problems? Where God says, if you, talking to the husband, if you will do everything I command you to do, I will bless you and your children. Did God make that promise to us? Then the women. So God looks at a man and a woman, and both of them are lined up exactly what they're supposed to be doing. The man is the spiritual leader in the home. The woman is the submissive, obeying wife to her husband. He's a Christian man now. He ain't some stupid guy out here that's, that's not walking with God. Some, I mean, people will say, okay, that's what's wrong in my house. My wife don't submit to me. My first question is, are you submitted to God? Are you willing to give your life for this woman? Most men would say, well, no. Okay, so then you're not lined up with God's Word. So if you're not lined up with God's Word, then that woman ain't never going to line up with God's Word. Until you become the spiritual leader of your home and begin producing fruit for the kingdom of God, you can't expect the woman to be the submissive woman that God told her to be. You're going to have problems in the family. But when the man turns over that new leaf and walks in that love with God, then that's when things begin to happen right. I mean... It's just really clear to me in the Word of God why we have the problem we have. Because the Lord, doesn't, not only will He allow this turmoil to be in the family, He says, if you're one of my branches and you don't produce fruit, what will I do to you? What does He say He'll do? I mean, did it really say that? He cut you off? What does it mean to be cut off? It means to die. This friend of mine had brain tumors. And it killed him in his mid-fifties. He died. When I was in high school with him, he was one of my best friends. But God's Word has no exceptions to the rule. So I learned right there, I, when God spoke to me audibly and told me, Son, I mean exactly what I say in this book. No exceptions. I don't make no special deals for nobody. I am God. Nobody tells me what to do. I command you what to do. You don't tell me what to do. I am the king of the universe. And I don't care how big you get. I don't get to be, care if you get to be king over a nation or you get to be president or whatever you are. I still command you what to do and you're to do what I tell you to do. And if you don't, I take you out. Can he do that? I guarantee he can do that because he's God. It's like when Richard Eby, when God had taken him to heaven and showed him heaven, then he was over there in Dr. Richard Eby. And that's when he was over in Israel in Lazarus' tomb one day, and the light went out, and it got dark. And he thought, what? what is this? And he said, I felt a being beside me. I said, Lord, is that you? And he said, yes, I'm fixing to take you on another trip. He said, Lord, where are you taking me this time? He said, I took you to heaven last time and showed you how great it was. Today, I'm going to take you on a trip to hell. He said, Lord, you can't take me to hell. I'm washed in the blood. He said, Lord, you have no grounds to take me to hell. He said, Son, I am God, and I'll do what I want to do. You're going to hell. And bam, he was in hell. He spent a few minutes in there, and when he came back, let me tell you, he was a changed man. He said, you don't want to go to that place. But let me tell you, you don't tell God what to do, do we? No. You stand on his word. He happens to be the king of the universe. 
And the one thing I've learned, you know, when you're working for a company or something and something don't go exactly right, especially when some of them are union, they go and have, have a representative to come and they're going to, you know, do some discussion. Hey, you can't call for a higher authority. You can't call for a reprieve on this. When the king comes to the end of your life and he says, okay, you didn't do this, now then into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, you ain't going to stand up and say, you can't do this to me, God. Can you? If he says, come in, well done, faithful servant. The joy has been set aside for you forever because you were a faithful servant on earth. Now I'm going to put you over many things in my kingdom. Wow. The promises are there. But it's up to you and me. It's scary. It's really scary. Because I saw this friend of mine get cut off. Yes, just a minute. Let me, oh, I don't have, yeah, I do. Let me get a mic so they can hear what you're saying. Okay. I just wanted to understand. You say that the Lord will, will cut us off mm-hmm. and that we'll die. Does that mean that we will lose our salvation? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. No, I'm not saying that. Okay. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that there is people, when you really read and study the Word of God, and you read it in depth, like I have read it, there is many cases in the Bible that He called us servants. And then one day when He come to the end of our life and we did nothing, and He says, because you've done nothing... I cut you off and cast you into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I believe those people lose their salvation. You know, no. That is totally up to God. But I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people today that have gone, and I've had a lot of them talk to me. Mothers and fathers and even the children themselves. That some child, that 12 or 15 or 20 goes down the aisle in a church, and they've heard in the church I used to be a member of, they said, once you're saved, you're forever saved, and you can never lose your salvation. So they take that to heart. And they go out, and they get saved, and maybe a few years later they decide, I don't have to go to church. Once saved, always saved. I can do anything I want to do. So I ain't going to church no more. I'm going to go to the lake on Sunday, or I'm going to go race cars. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Well, if you really are a child of God and you're producing no fruit for the kingdom, what's probably going to happen to you in 5 or 10 or 15 years? At 30 or 35 years old, you die. Now, did you get to go to heaven? Only God really knows that. I can't make that judgment, because He clearly told me in His Word in Acts 10, 42, that I'm to teach His Word, and it has been ordained by God the Father that Jesus Christ will be the judge of both the lost and the save. So there ain't nobody going to make that decision except Jesus. And he'll make that decision. Well, I don't want there to be no question when it comes to my life. At the end of my life, I want to hear the king say one thing when I take my last breath. Well done, son. And the reason I had to take you out and translate you out because I couldn't stand to be in heaven without you no longer. I want you to come up here with me. I want you to be where I am. That, and I want to hear him say... Well done, faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things on earth I put you over. Now I'm going to put you over many things in the kingdom. That's what I want to hear. Well done. I don't want to be one of those. And there's a case after case after case in this Bible where people didn't do what he said, and he cut them off and cast them into outer darkness. He says he will. So, I don't want to be one of those. Do you? 
Absolutely. I can guarantee you one thing for sure. If you say you're a born-again Christian, if you say that with your mouth and you believe that with your heart, and you're busy about the king's work, you're going to church, you're tithing, you're walking in love, you're producing food for the kingdom, you're walking in love as you go throughout the day, you're doing things for people, you're telling people about Jesus, you're doing all the things he called you to do, then there won't be no question. None whatsoever. But if you come to church for five years or ten years and then say, oh, that's it, God, I don't have to come to church no more. I'll just go do what I want to do. And you never darken it over church again, maybe ten, twenty, thirty years. You have not raised your family. You've not been a spiritual leader in your home. You've just been, if you were a woman, maybe a mother and then a grandmother and a great-grandmother, and you didn't teach your children about God. But yet when you was twelve, you said you got saved. But you produced no fruit for the kingdom. There comes a time when everybody's soul is going to be required of them. What's going to happen to yours at that time? I don't know. But I would not want to be in that person's shoes if they'd been through all this and had done nothing for the kingdom. Nothing. It's, not, it's scary. And plus, I know of a man, one, but I know of many others, too. I think of a man that was this kind of man. And he was much younger than this man. And he was in a boat one day with a guy my age now. The guy was my age, as old as I am right now. This had been 15, 20 years ago when this happened. This guy was in his mid-60s or older. And the young man was an extremely good swimmer. And he loved to go to the lake. And they were out there one afternoon, running in this boat. way out in the middle of Lake Louisville. And they hit something, and the boat turned upside down. And the young man drowned. And the old man swam, plumb across the lake, and got to safety. And they couldn't find his body. They couldn't, for a week, they couldn't find his body. I knew the family extremely well. The wife and her children, they come to church every time the door was open. But the young man, husband, he never came. He lost his life in his mid-30s. So I come to church on Sunday morning. One of the men told me, said, Thurman, you know they hadn't found so-and-so's body. I said, no, I hadn't heard that yet. He said, they've not found it. I said, that family, I love that family. I said, that woman and those children need that body. I said, come with me upstairs. So we went upstairs, and I read Matthew 18, 19. I said, kneel on the floor with me. And that man knelt on the floor. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to send forth an angel to bring that body up today. Let them find it today so they can bring it out and bury it so they will know where they buried their husband and daddy. I said, I realize he hasn't served you, but that's regardless. He's dead now. He's been drowned a week. I am asking you, Father, on mine and so-and-so's faith. The man's name that was with me was John that day. On mine and John's faith, I'm asking you to send an angel to bring that body up and let him find it today. And I want to thank you for doing it. Walked from there back down to the Sunday school class. I walked in, one of the men said, Hey, Thurman, you heard they didn't find so-and-so's body yet? I said, Well, I didn't know that until a while ago, but I heard it. But I said, They're going to find it today. He said, Well, how do you know that? I said, Do you believe this book is true? He said, Well, yes. I said, Then Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19. Isn't that a great and awesome promise? That if two of us on earth agree about what? Anything we ask Him for, it will be done for us by our Father in Heaven. I said, so 
I'm going to guarantee you on the word of the living God, today they will find his body. Now see, that's faith talking. That's the kind of faith God expects us as his children to have. This is what he's allowed us to walk in if we believe by faith and walk in obedience to his word. I came back to church that night when I walked in and one of the men said, Thurman, did you hear what happened right after lunch today? I said, well, no, I don't watch the news or nothing. He said, they found so-and-so's body. He said, I thought about what you said this morning. You said you guaranteed they were going to find his body today because you and John prayed. I said, then I meant that. He said, they found it. I said, so I expected it. And they did. Does God honor prayers of faith of his obedient children? Of course he does. But you can't pray it and then come down and somebody says, you know they had not found so-and-so's body yet? Yeah, I know, but me and John prayed a while ago. And if it's God's will, I sure hope, maybe, that he'll send somebody to find it. But it ain't going to happen. There ain't no faith in what you've just done. None whatsoever. But just think, far more serious than all these things we've talked about here. Every branch in him that produces no fruit, he cuts it off. Do you want to be cut off? No. I don't want to be cut off. Do you want to live a long, healthy, productive life and be blessed abundantly? Hey, I do. So what does that mean we got to do each day? Put God first in our life. In our business, we put the king first. And then he says, even if you do that, what will he do? He will purge you or trim you or prune you to make you more fruitful. Now, sometimes you won't like the pruning. Yeah, but it does. No, that's what our brother up here, I don't want it to hurt. Nobody wants it to hurt. But sometimes it hurts severely. You know, because God, He's God. And the minute you made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, who does the body you live in belong to? It belongs to Him. You have no say-so about it no more. It's His. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You're the caretaker of this temple, and He expects you to take good care of this temple. You know that? He expects you to walk holy and keep the devil away from this body. Just like the other day, one of our men comes to church here, and a lot of times he's here on Tuesday night, but he's an airline pilot, and tonight he's not here. Well, he was out of town. He had a great testimony Sunday. He said, I was out of town as an airline pilot, and one of his eyes got to hurting him real bad. And he said he called the minister center, and we prayed for him, and his eye got worse. I thought, that's not a very good, uh, you know, <laughs> example of us. But sometimes when we pray, the devil does intensify his warfare. So he thought, well, I've got to come home. I can't fly like this. So I'll come home. He came home and he said, when I got home, I thought, you know, this body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This don't belong to me. It belongs to God. So he said, devil, you have no authority in this body. This body does not belong to you. I am not walking in no kind of known sin. I am repenting of all sin, known and unknown, and I'm going to go to bed tonight, and when I wake up in the morning, you're not going to be here, and my eyes are going to be perfectly well, in Jesus' name. Now, do you hear any faith in that man's statement? He woke up the next morning, I totally, completely healed. He went back to work. Now, you don't allow the devil 
to attack you as a daughter or a son of the king of the universe. If you're walking in obedience to his word, the Lord clearly told you in James 4, 7, he said, submit yourself to me and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Didn't he say that? So anytime the devil tries to come upon you to put any kind of sickness or disease or to come to your mind to try to get you to sin, you should immediately make sure you're submitted to the Lord. Resist him with a word. Remind him who you are. I'm a daughter of the king. You can't mess with me, you devil of hell. I ain't going there. I'm dead to sin. I live to righteousness. Now get out of my life in Jesus' name. And walk holy before God. And what did the Lord say? If you submit yourself to him and resist the devil, what did he say the devil will do? He'll flee from you. In fact, if you go back to the original Greek and check that out, you'll find out the devil will flee from you in terror. He's afraid of you with the word. That's wonderful to know that. Now then, after verse 2, he said, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Then he says, verse 4, Abide in me. Abide in me, and I'm in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So when you, if you're abiding, how do you abide in the King? How do you abide in God? You study the Word. You wake up worshiping Him. You go to bed worshiping Him. You study His Word. You listen to CDs about the Bible or teachings about the Word of God. You feed the Word of God into your heart and your mind. Whatever is in your heart is going to come out where? Your mouth. That's exactly right. So if you go wheeling down the road, uh, the highway and somebody almost runs over, you have to come to a screeching halt to pull off to the side and nearly hit a banister. If GD, that SOB, comes out of your mouth, you ain't abiding in the right place. You know, I've been in cars with Christians that would say stuff like that whenever something like that happened. You know where they're abiding? In the world. They're definitely not abiding. You know what they should have come out of that person's mouth? Praise God, Lord, bless that man. Watch over him. Ride with him and protect him. He needs your help. That's what we should be, right? That's when you're abiding in the King. You're doing what Jesus would do. But the Lord says, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same shall bring forth much fruit. Not just a little. I mean, you ain't going to have a little bitty grape out there once in a while. I mean, you're going to have a cluster of these things. It's going to be full. You're going to be doing good things for the kingdom. If a man abide not in me. Look at this in verse 6. If. Boy, did you not? I've done a look up one time on the word if in the Bible. And it, it was in there hundreds of times. I spent hours one night reading all the places the word if was used in a sentence. And I think about it every time I come to one. If a man abide not in me, now if you do not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire. 
So if you don't abide in the Lord, what's going to be your final dwelling place? A lake of fire. I don't want to go there, do you? And they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now this one I like, don't you? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now do you like that? As children of God that are walking in obedience to his word... Loving Him, praising Him, worshiping Him, staying in His Word, abiding in Him, hiding the Word in our heart, being obedient to do what it says, worshiping the King, praising Him. I mean, praying over our food, our drink, worshiping Him and praising Him each day, not ashamed of the King. If we're abiding in Him like that, what does He say you can ask for as His son or daughter? What? Anything? Is that good news? Oh, that's good news, isn't it? Absolutely, if you're going to ask the king, if, you're, if you have a king that has unlimited power and unlimited resources, and you can ask him for anything, what can you get from God as an obedient child? Whatever you want. He is not limited in his ability. And that's good news when you think about who we're serving. That's just like today. As elder and I, we'd, places we'd run into, tight, hard to work on, couldn't get to a nut or a bolt or something. And me or him once said, Lord, we need help back here. Send us an angel to help us. I mean, it's amazing how many times we called on the Lord today in the process of our day. One of us. We were constantly, Lord, thank you that we're going to get this off. Thank you, Lord, that we're going to find the problem. And thank you, it's not going to be extremely expensive to fix this thing. Hey, praise the King. So, you know, we call the king and his angels, we call them in by us quoting the word of God. And they helped us and we were able to get it all done. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide, you shall ask what you will. Now, does it pay good dividends to ask the king to help you? What if you're just cleaning the house? Hey, can you ask him to help you? Sure. He'll give you knowledge. What if you're going to go shopping? Lord, Help me to buy the right things at the right prices today. Now then, if you walk up to the counter and there's this unbelievable dress that you don't need, but you got the money in the bank, and you say, wow, do I need that? And he says, you don't need that today. I rebuke you, devil. I want that. Do you all know what I'm talking about? When the flesh takes a hole, when you hear that little voice that says, no. But you say, Lord, i got to have that anyway. He said, no, you don't. You don't have to have that today. Now you find out who's the, in control. Whether it's the king or whether it's your flesh. So if you go ahead and buy it after he told you not to. But if you'll ask his advice, he will give you the perfect advice. And it might be that that dress, you say, wow, look at that dress. That's awesome. And it's on sale. You know, it was normally four ninety five in its own sale for $175. And he says, no. But Lord, i got to have it. He says, no. Okay. So you go out there and walk into another, and the same exact dress for twenty nine ninety five, Made by the same people. You ever done that? Sure. Sure. See, now the king, he said, Lord, look at it. There it is for twenty nine ninety five. He said, you can have it now. And you think, Wow. That's like a man one time said he was out of money 
And he walked out of his house and said, Lord, I've got to have food for my family. And said, the Lord spoke to him, said, drive down the street one mile and told him what store and go into the, to the meat department. He said, Lord, I, I don't hardly have enough gas to drive down there. I could go right across the street. But he thought, the Lord, he said, I heard him clear. I drove a mile down the street, pulled in, and I went back to the meat department. And he said, I'm looking around in there, and everything seems to be very expensive. And said, I walked over to an area where they had a whole bunch of chicken breasts that were one day old or whatever they are, I don't know. But they had those on sale for nearly nothing, like 30 cents a pound or whatever it was. He thought, wow, I get enough food there to feed my whole family for a week for what money I got. Now, see, did it pay good dividends to listen to God? Yeah, the Lord knew exactly how much money he had. He knew how many he had to feed. And he knew exactly where everything was at the right price. All he had to do is be obedient and do what God says. Now, so many of us, when God speaks to us like that, we say, Oh, well, that was just a figment of my imagination. That wasn't really God talking to me. But he talks to us. He t- here's a lady. Yes, he does. You hear heard him many times, haven't you, young lady? Sure. And when you do what he says, it always blesses you, doesn't it? He wants to do only what's good for you. But you've got to be obedient to listen and do what he says. And what's amazing, when you're obedient and do what he says, he talks to you more often, doesn't he? If you're not obedient to do what he said, he gets to where he don't talk to you very often. And that's why a lot of people stop hearing his voice. Because they want to do their own thing. Then he says it. <clears throat> Verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Now, you and I are supposed to bear much fruit. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, so continue you in my love. Continue day in and out in His love. He says, there's another one of these ifs in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, which means you don't have to. He gave you an option, didn't he? You can turn your back on him, or you can love him and walk in it. He says, if you keep my commandments. Well, what happens if you keep my commandments? He said, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. Well, now, what if you're not willing to keep his commandments? You can't abide in the king without obeying his commandments. You know, you have to do that. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Now, how many of us like to have our joy full every day? Ooh, I like to have my joy running over full. I mean, I love it. But to do that, what do you have to do? You have to abide in the King. You've got to abide in His commandments. You've got to keep His commandments. And look, verse 12 says, This is my commandment. So now He's telling us. Now then... God is a commander in general, and He commands us to do things. He doesn't ask you to do things. He commands you to do things. This is my commandment, that you love one another. But Lord, I can love this girl if she is nice to me. But I got this girl that comes to my church. She's a meanie. What did He tell you to do to her? Oh, I mean, this little lady up here is so easy to love her. I mean, Miss Jerry, I've known her for several years, and anybody can love this little woman. (laughs) You know what I mean, young lady? She's a lovely woman. She's easy to love. Now, I've run into a few other ladies in my life that are not quite so easy to love. 
But this little gal, I mean, anybody could love her. But God didn't tell me to love those that are easy to love. He told me to love everybody, didn't He? This is my commandment. In fact, a while ago when Cheryl and I was coming down here, she mentioned somebody that had been in her family that died an old woman. But she said, Thurman, she was mean till the day she died. And I thought, wow. Do we know people like that? Now, what God commanded us to do to those people? Love them. Now, it ain't easy, is it, Deborah? No. But God says, He says, If you keep my commandments... Then he, in verse, these things that I've spoken to you, that my joy might be full, and that your joy might be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So how much did the king love us? He died for us while we were yet wicked sinners. That's about as great a love as you can possibly get, isn't it? That's how much he loved us. You said, but Lord, I can love him as long as he does what I want him to do. But if you don't, I can't love him. That's not what God says. I have to remind myself of that daily. Because it's so easy to get off on a tangent. Look what he says in verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's a pretty big one right there, to lay down your life. And again, we've got another verse 14 here that has got an if right in the middle of the sentence. You are my friends... If, there's a qualifier here. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You know, this, this book that uh, Ayesha ordered some of these and she got me one so I can read it. And one of the things that I've already read in the little excerpts of this book, this woman said, and it's, it's, it's written by a woman, and this woman says, how to be his helpmate. How to be his helpmate. And as she reads this, what was that, honey? Help meet. Help okay, help meet. Okay, help meet. That's what God says in his word, how to be a help meet. And she clearly states right off the bat, the average woman today has lost, even the women in the church have lost the path of what God has created them to be. She said, I had lost it. But she said, I was married to a man. I couldn't stand him. I wanted to get away from him. I didn't want him. And she said, then I went to God and God revealed to me that there's different kinds of men. Three basic kinds of men. And one of them, and God is a, you'll find all of these attributes in God. As I'm reading this book, I think how true this is. There's three different kinds of attributes that primarily stand out in God. Number one, he's a steady God. He's solid as a rock. He never changes. And God has made men, many of them. Oh, yeah, by the way, if you got one of those things, uh, uh, you need to do something with it. Just like I need to do something with mine. I thank goodness mine didn't go off yet. But I'll set it down there now. <clears throat> But God is a steady God. He's solid. He is a visionary God. And He is also a command God. Well, He put these same attributes in virtually every man that He made. But one of these attributes He brings to the surface in different men. All of them will have a little bit of every one of these attributes. But you take a steady man, I mean, he'll be steady and solid as a rock, 
And if you happen to be a woman fortunate enough to be married to a steady man, your life's not going to be quite so bad. You know, he'll be easy to get along with. You know, uh, he'll be a great man. But if you happen to be one of those kind of women that gets married to a visionary man, he's going to have ups and downs. He's going to have great visions to do great things at times. And if you learn to roll with him in that, you can have a great life and full flow through life with him. Because God made you to be the help meet to him. And he made the women for the man and not the man for the woman. You're to glorify God through what you're supposed to do for your husband. And if you learn that's what God called you to do, and you'll find what kind of man you have, then you can have a great life. But this one right here where we said, God said, I am a commander, and I command you to do things. It says, God made a few men commanders. And he called most of those men to be preachers. He called them to be CEOs of companies. He called them to be great businessmen. said, if you happen to be so unfortunate to be married to one of these commanders, your life is going to be up and down. Because you're going to be married to a man that's a commander. He commands things to be done. And he expects you to get it done. If you learn to flow with that and become that commander's wife, you will be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. Because usually the man that's the commander will be the ones that will be the greatest bless financially in life. And they will bless your socks off if you will flow with him. But these are some of the things this lady's found out. But she said, of all the men, the hardest to live with are the commanders. Because she said they have not near as much compassion she talks about men, businessmen. Something's falling apart. He says, this is the problem right here. Go out and take care of it. I command you to do this and do that. Somebody comes back and says, I couldn't do it. He said, fire the guy. I don't want him. Get this one. Let him do it. He's a commander. But he gets things done. He said, it's hard to live with a man like that. You know? The other day I was thinking as we're sitting talking about this, Yeshua said, you are a commander. She said, I easily see this in your life. said, you're a commander. God has called you to be a commander. She said, I see it when people, you go teach people the Word of God. You think they ought to all hear and receive and get healed. She said, after you prayed for them, it's over. Don't come back and bother me no more. You're healed in the name of Jesus. She said, that's where your faith is. They called six weeks later and said, I'm still sick. You tell them, get over it. Jesus already healed you. She said, you're a commander. I said, wow, I didn't realize I was quite that uncompassionate with people. But she said, you're a commander. And, and she told Cheryl, said, Cheryl, if you learn to live with him, <laughs> your life will be blessed. You know, but commanders, it, but is God a, God a commander God? What did he tell us to do there? Oh, if those people are nice to you, David, love them. That's not what he told you, was it? He said, I command you to do what? And he didn't tell you if they're good or nice or easy to get along. He said, I command you to love them. Did he not? You think he meant that? Yes, he is. He is the commander-in-chief, isn't he? And if the commander-in-chief tells us to do something, what do we got to do? We either obey or we suffer the consequences. He is the commander. 
And he says there, I command you. And he says, if, he said, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you to do. Or what if you don't do what he says? You're not his friend. Does he still love you? Oh yeah, he loves you, but you're not his friend. Now if you want God to do something for you, you want him to answer your prayer, you better have him as a friend. And to be have a God that answers your prayers, what do you have to do? What he commands. Whatever he commands you in the Word, you need to do. When God tells you to do something, all you need to do is just jump. If he comes in and said, Thurman, jump. I'll just jump as high as I can. And in the middle of us, I say, how high, God? He said, just keep going. I'll tell you when to stop. That's faith. That's what he expects, isn't it? That's what God expects you and me to do. He expects us to obey his word. And when he tells us to do something, I mean, we just do it. And when we do, he says, you are my friends if you obey me. Well, I want to be his friend, don't you? Because when I have a need and the devil shows up at my house, I want to be able to kick him out. And I want to be able to get my prayers answered so I can see great and mighty answers to prayer. So, he says, I'll do that. Then he says, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what the Lord does. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You are not chosen. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Do you know how blessed a statement that is when you think that you, each one of us, have been chosen by the King of the universe to be his children? What kind of a blessing is that, young lady? Oh, it is beyond our wildest dreams. When I drive down the road, I think of the number of people that are lost. I think about the number of people every day that die and go to hell. And I think, God... I have been so fortunate. Everybody in your church needs to realize this, that we have been so fortunate. We have been called by the king of the universe to do something great and mighty for him here on this earth. He has chosen a piece of junk like you and me. A piece of dirt. That's all we are, is a piece of dirt. But he calls us and empowers us with his spirit to do great and mighty things as long as he lives inside this thing. Boy, as long as he's living inside this, if he's in control of this, what can this get done? There's no limitations, is there? None. You can speak things in his name, and he will do great and mighty things. But I have chosen you, and, I, and, and, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your joy, that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. What kind of a promise is that? If we abide in him and we obey his commands, we literally have a command from God that by obeying him and walking in his love, you and I as sons and daughters of God can ask him for anything and he will talk to us and reveal to us great and wonderful things. Wow. Isn't it nice to be attached to a king or a god like that? It's kind of unbelievable, isn't it? You know what most people say when you make these kind of statements? Thurman, that's unbelievable. Well, if that's where you live, 
and unbelievable is where you live, then you're not going to get very much from God. He's made the promises, didn't He? Sure He did. So we need to ask. We need to believe. We need to start walking in obedience to the Word. I mean, just like that day. I mean, just think. Here is a whole church full of people. All of them love this woman and her children and her husband, which did never come to church. Hardly ever. But he'd been drowned a week. And nobody else prayed for him. You know why nobody else prayed and believed he would do that? Because nobody else believed he would. But out of a church of 200 or 300 people, I was the only man that would go upstairs and take a man with me and say, Jesus said in John in Matthew 18, 19, if two of us on earth agree about anything, he'll do it. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking you to send an angel to find that man's body and bring it to the service and let him find it today. And thank you for doing it for me, Father, in Jesus' name. And then be able to go downstairs and somebody say, they're not found his body yet. I say, I know, but I guarantee they're going to find it today. Well, how can you be so sure? I said, do you believe this book is true? Yes. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, if two of us on earth agreed about anything, he'd do it. Did he not, sir? So, you've got to believe that, right? Guarantee they're going to find it today because I prayed. I'm a son of God. Somebody said, well, you can't tell what God what to do. Hey, God told me what to do, didn't He? Did He tell me to walk in love? Did He tell me if I would keep His love and do what He said, then I could come and ask Him for anything and He would do it? So why don't we do what He says? You know what? It makes life very wonderful when you pray a prayer like that and somebody hears you pray a prayer like that. That's just like the Sunday night I was in church when Fred Simmons, I'll call his name because Fred's still alive today. Ten years ago, he had prostate cancer. He'd been diagnosed on Friday. Monday morning, he's got to have surgery. So Sunday night, he comes to church and said, Before we leave tonight, I want you all to pray for me. I'm going to have surgery for cancer, prostate, in the morning at 7 o'clock. We got ready to leave. And we were getting ready to leave. And, leave it, and nobody prayed for Fred. I, I, the pastor had already closed with a dismissal prayer. And people were getting loud, jump up and said, Hey! Wait a minute. Fred asked us to pray for him tonight. And ain't nobody prayed. Oh, that's right, Fred. We forgot. I said, I know y'all don't believe in prayer like I do. But I said, Jesus said in Mark 16, 17, and 18, that I could lay my hands on somebody, drive the devil out, and God would heal them. I said, Fred, can I do that for you? He said, yes. I looked up to the pastor and I said, you want to lay hands on him with me? He said, yes. Little 32 or 3 year old young man with a bachelor's degree from the seminary walked down there and laid his hands on. I commanded that devil to come out of him and for him to be healed in the name of Jesus. I said, It's done. You're healed. I turned him loose. Three or four or five other people. Oh, God, please, Lord, if it be your will, when he goes to the doctor in the morning, please help the doctor to get all the cancer. That sounds just like us in church, you know it. The next morning at 7 o'clock, Fred Simmons goes to the doctor. The doctor pulls one little check of his blood and everything, and he said, Fred, I don't understand what's happened to you, but Friday your blood was so bad, and today it's perfect. He said, now before I do the surgery, I'm going to run another test on you, because obviously something has happened since Friday. He'd run another test, and he came back and said, Fred, I don't see this happen many times in my life, but for some strange reason, you don't have prostate cancer today. There's not anything wrong with you. You can get up and put your clothes on and go back home. Hey, what did God say we could do, Eldon? 
anything. I mean, why is it we don't believe the king? Why do we pray these kind of prayers? Oh, God, if it be your will. When he told us what his will is. Didn't he, didn't he say? Isn't that amazing? Hey, this guy's my brother in Christ. You know, I don't want to see him go through surgery. I don't want to see him have cancer. So I, I'm, going to tell, I'm going to believe the promises God gives and kick that devil out of him and lay hands on and expect God to do what he said he would do. And he healed him. I got tickled, Miss Jerry, when I first met her. She has been what we call a Pentecostal holy roller all of her life. I mean, she is an on-fire believer with what I teach. And she came over to a couple of my healing schools and saw God heal lots of people. And whoever her pastor was at the time, she went back and told him. She says, you know, we need to be ashamed of ourselves. We're Pentecostal, holy roller, believers in the Word of God. And there's a badness over there in Dallas that's getting more people healed than we are. <laughs> that's what she told me. She said, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. There's a badness over there getting more people healed than we are. <laughs> I got so tickled at her. Do what? <laughs> I was a Baptist and I was putting them to shame. So she said, we're going to have to change something. <laughs> oh, good. I mean, after all, everybody knows Pentecostals ought to get more people healed in Baptist any day, right? And we should be. <laughs> but God don't honor. What does he honor, Miss Jerry? He honors faith. That's right. He honors faith. It don't make any difference to God if you're a Pentecostal, if you're a Methodist, if you're a Catholic, if you're a Baptist. He honors faith in his word. That's what moves the hand of the king. Faith in his word. He ain't going to say one day, well, Thurman, because you were a good Baptist. No. Baptist Jerry, because you were a good Pentecostal. No. He's not even going to bring that up. He said, because you were an obedient daughter or son and you believe my word. That's why I do these things. So, it's amazing what we can get done when we, get, when we do these things in faith. Now then... After we saw what the Lord says He will do, let's turn to a place here in Acts chapter 15. And let's look at something the Lord told us not to do. Now we see that He's commanded us to walk in love. Now then, let's go over here to a place in Acts 15.20. And when we get here, let's see something He told us not to do. Now it's obvious that we don't read the book very close. Because lots of people live in these sins. Acts chapter 15, verse 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Is that what it said? We abstain from the pollution of idols. How in the world do you abstain from the pollution of idols? What can be your idol? There's a young lady right there who said, anything could be your idol. Could your children be your idol? Could your husband be your idol? Or your wife? Yes. Could your car be your idol? Could your house be your idol? Oh, yeah, sure. Anything. Ma'am? Oh, yes. Television. My goodness gracious alive. There's some people, I mean, don't... Tuesday night or Wednesday night or whatever. I mean, if their television show is, you know, counteracts with the Bible study that night, well, I'm, I, I, I got to stay home and watch my favorite television show. I, you can tell me what happened Bible study, but I'm going to watch my... In fact, Sunday afternoon, some men 
will not come to church on Sunday afternoon because the football boys are playing football and they start at 11.30 or 12.30 or 1. And they know you ain't going to get through, so they ain't coming to church that day. In fact, I heard a young lady here a while back. I was talking to her. Her uh, husband is a nut when it comes to football. And I said, man, your husband is... I mean, when I walked into her house, he had three television sets on. Three. And each one of them with a different game. He was sitting there and I thought, wow. I said, your husband's really hooked on football, isn't she? You know what she told me? She said, I could die while football season's on and my husband wouldn't miss me till it was over. <laughs> Woo! No, it wasn't Liz. I'm just pouring down her. But <clears throat> that's what that girl said to me. If I died during football season, he wouldn't even miss me till football season was over. That's kind of how steeped we are on things of the world. Now, you think that was his God? I guarantee those things was his God. He was watching three football games on Sunday afternoon. I mean, during Monday night football, he had every game on. He was watching them all. Now, the Lord told us to abstain from being polluted by idols. Don't let anything become your idol. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then he says from fornication. You need to really pay attention to this. Many people in the church are actively involved in sex outside of wedlock. I mean, well, I see it all the time. I didn't realize how many people were involved in this till I became a pastor. And it just amazes me that the people in church that's involved in these kind of things, and they wonder why their world is falling apart. Or wonder why sickness and disease come upon them. Or men that are involved in this, and I didn't realize until I became a pastor, how many men that even in their late 30s and early 40s were so involved in sex with women, even when they traveled in business and everything else, and they thought this was their idol. And by the time they get in their late 30s or early 40s, they're impotent. Absolutely couldn't have sex if they wanted to. But yet that was their drive. And now then, they ain't going to have it no more the rest of their life. And they don't know why. I've seen this over and over and over in the church. And every case, it was always a man was sexually active with another woman or two or three or four other women being married to a woman. And, in, and he thought he couldn't live without this. Go out of town for a week. Got to have two or three women while he's out of town. And after... Late 30s, sometime early 40s, bam, it's over. His life, his sex life is over. I've seen it over and over and over. And every one of them were sexually active outside of the marriage bed. Isn't that amazing? The book of Proverbs, in chapter 11 of the book of Wisdom, not Proverbs, in the, in the Catholic Bible... They have an extra book. They have several extra books in there. They're very good reading. There's a book in the Catholic Bible called the Book of Wisdom. And in Proverbs, in, not Proverbs, in the Book of Wisdom, chapter 16, no, chapter 11, verse 16, it goes into detail, that whole chapter, to explain to these people that whatever parts of their bodies they use to sin with, that's the part of their bodies that will be attacked or afflicted. Now, if you're a liar... Guess what's going to be attacked? Your tongue or your throat? If you're going to have the roving eye, you know, you get hooked on pornography or you're always looking at 
especially if you're a man and you're always looking at women everywhere except in their face, you've got the roaming eye, what begins to happen to your eye? I've seen men have cancer in the eye and die because they had a roaming eye or they were hooked on pornography. But I thought when I read that article, or not the article, that chapter uh, 11 in the Book of Wisdom in the Catholic Bible, I thought, how awesome that is. There it is, right there in chapter 11 of the Book of Wisdom. God clearly says, whatever part of your body you use to sin with, that will be the part that will be attacked or afflicted. Amazing, isn't it? The book is full of wonderful things. All you got to do is read it. You know, and don't just get hung up on the King James. The Catholic Bible's got some good stuff in it. It's got all the same books in it we got, and some of the chapters are a little different. I've learned some great things out of some of those things I've read in the Catholic Bible. It's really some good stuff in there. Catholics have a lot going for them. Have a what, ma'am? The Catholics have a lot of things going oh, for yeah. them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, if... Yep, if they would, if the Catholics, are, they got the same problem we got. They got a great book. They just don't read it. That's the major problem with the Catholics. I mean, at least most, most uh, Pentecostal or, or Protestant, I should say, most Protestant churches will encourage their people to read the Bible. But there's been a whole lot of the Catholic churches that have encouraged their people not to read the Bible. Now, that's wrong. Now, there's getting to be a few of them today, more of them, that are encouraging their people to read the Bible. And when they read it, wow, what it's got in it. They are really learning some good stuff. Then it says here, after he's talking about abstain from these things, uh, in verse uh, 20, again down in verse uh, 29, he says that you abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fairly well. He's telling us these are the things we need to be free from. Now then, as a child of God, if you're walking in love, if that one commandment the king give us, and he says, I command you to walk in love and to love everybody. If you do that, how many idols will you have? None. How much fornication will be in your life? None. You know, and the, the eating strangled animals or a lot of blood, eating blood, usually that turns most people off anyway. But those are things God tells us not to do. You know, so, <clears throat> if he said it, there's got to be a reason. He didn't put it in the Word just for no reason. Let, let's go to Romans chapter 5. Let's look at what uh, this, this is. Romans chapter 5 is, we'll try our best to get through Romans chapter 5 tonight. Because it has a, uh, we're, we've seen some things, what God says he will do if we'll do some things. Then he told us some things not to do. And so, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, being justified by faith... You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you are justified by faith, not anything else. That means the Word of God, when you've read it, you've realized that the price for your sin has been paid. So you can come to Christ at any time, regardless of how wicked you were, what you'd done, where you'd lived, and you come to Him and by faith ask Him to forgive you. 
of your sins and just actually come into the kingdom and say, Lord, I believe in you and I want you as my Lord and Savior. I realize you sent your son to pay the price for my, all of my sins. So all of my sins are under the blood and by faith I'm justified, which means I am just as if I had never sinned in my life. That takes an awesome God to clean up an old boy like you and me, doesn't it? I mean, if he can clean us up and make us that clean, and then make us preachers, man, he really scraping the bottle of barrel on my part anyway. You know, I think, but God does that, doesn't he? He can do that to anybody. I don't care where you've been, what you've lived, and what you've done. When you come to Christ and say, Lord, I believe that Jesus paid the price for me, and I believe that by faith, he said, good. When you believe that by faith, or what I said in my word, then you are justified by faith, which means I have just made you just as if you had never sinned in your life. You're standing there in a beautiful white robe without a single spot on it from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. What a privilege. I mean, that's a privilege. So that's where we are when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he says, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're at peace with him. He's no longer mad at us because of the blood of Jesus. We have peace with God. Now, do you want to stay in peace with God? Yeah. So if you want to stay in peace with him, what do you have to do? What do you have to do to continue to be his friend? Walk in love. Do what he says. Keep his commandments. He loves you with an unconditional love. But he has commands for us to do, like your children. If you have children, do you love your children with all your heart? I hope so. If you do, but does your children ever do anything that deserves a reprimand or a spanking? Unfortunately, most of them do, don't they? Especially when they're little, when they're throwing a fit because they didn't get what they want. I mean, I have seen two, three, four-year-old children, like my own grandson the other day, two now, you know, he walked in the other day and he wanted something and he didn't get it. Man, he was throwing stuff. And I said, hmm. And Tim says, well, he's already had about 13 today. He said, I guess one more ain't going to hurt him. I thought, what? I said, you give him several things already. He said, Dad, only thing I'd say to you is you was too easy on me. And I ain't going to be that easy on mine. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> but hey, them little critters will put you to the test, won't they? They will put you to the test. Do you love them? Of course you love them. But do you have to give them a swat once in a while? I guarantee if you don't. God says you don't love them. And that's hard. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? He says if you don't take the rod to your children and beat the devil out of them, the meanest, they will lose their soul. You know, you will save their soul from hell if you drive or beat the hell out of them with a rod, is what he says in his word. Now, nobody wants their children to die and go to hell, do they? Nobody. But the Lord said, we have to beat that hell, beat that evil, beat that devil out of them with a rod. The rod drives the evil from them, is what the Word says. So, if you've got children, and just like we were teaching the other day about this, and this guy, Dr. Spock, that wrote this book, I did not know until one of the ladies said that his own son committed murder or, or committed suicide or whatever and died and after all this happened, he realized how wrong he was, and he repented and said, I'm sorry, my book is not any good. But thousands or tens of thousands of people raised their kids according to his book. And look what happened. 
Well, if you'd read the Word of God and raise your kids according to this book, God wrote this one. He don't make no mistakes. So that's what we need to do is listen to this one. But we'll, it's amazing. We'll go read a book the world wrote, but we won't read the Bible. And when we read it, we won't do what it says. But it's obvious that all of us are the same. Now then, if we're justified by faith, verse 2 says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, how do you have access into this faith? Into this grace? How do you have access into this grace? By faith in the Word of God. How many of you believe you can come right immediately, boldly into the throne of grace and stand before God and say, Lord, i got this problem, and I sure do need an answer tonight. You believe we can do that? Because the Word says we can, can't we? In other words, you mean to tell me you think you can just walk into the throne of grace before a holy God and say, God, here I am. i got this problem. And he'll say, sure, my daughter, tell me what you need. Jump up here in my lap and tell me what you need. Isn't that a privilege? Whoa! And when you learn that, you can go up there and get something done, can't you? Absolutely, you can get something done. I mean, you can get prayers answered when you realize that you're justified by faith and you have access into this grace by faith when you're keeping His commandments and walking in obedience to His Word. Now then, does that mean you come to church once a month and you, get, you have access into this? No. Or you say, well, I ain't going to tithe either, God. I don't trust you with my money. I ain't giving you no money. You know, I ain't going to do that. Does it do any good to come to God and ask Him for something? If you're disobedient, He commanded us to do things, didn't He? And we don't do them. And, in fact, I remember a, a pastor started a church one time, and he was really, I mean, until it got to about 200, he was really on fire for tithing. He talked about tithing every Sunday. And everybody, he said, he just told him, said, if you come to this church, you can't be a member here if you don't tithe. Whoa. So his church got up to about 200, and he stopped talking about tithing. His church went ahead and got three, four, five, and everything they asked God for when it was up to about 200. Any need, anybody come up for prayer, God just did it just like that. And then he stopped talking about tithing. He thought, well, everybody knows, so he talks about other things. Well, his church grew three, four, five hundred, and all of a sudden, God's not answering their prayers no more. So he went to the Lord and said, Lord, what's going on? You used to answer our prayers every time. Now you don't answer them. He said, your church used to be obedient. Now they're disobedient. You've stopped teaching on tithing. And he said, only about half of them are now tithing. The rest of them are stealing from me. So he said, I ain't answering your prayers no more until you straighten them up. So he went back to preaching on tithing. You know, today, you know how big that church is? Last time I checked, it was 16,000. Isn't that something? You reckon he's doing something right? you got to be doing something right. Yeah, You don't come from zero to 16,000 in about 15 years unless you're doing something right. He's really teaching the Word. The people are really being blessed. Then it says here, We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And not only so, just think. But we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. I want to know how many of y'all glory in tribulation. 
Ooh, there's a few in here that, Deborah, you telling me that you're nearly the only one in here that glories in tribulation? Ooh, this girl's learned something. So the Word tells us to do that, doesn't it? You mean to tell me when things start going wrong, you say, Lord, thank you for this trial and test. Oh, glory to God. Now, what did the Word tell us all to do? Glory in our tribulations. How many of us like it when we undergo tribulations? Do you like it, brother? No, you just like me. No, it is so difficult when things are going wrong and everything's breaking and everything to jump up and say, Lord, thank you for another test. But he said to, didn't he? Why are we so disobedient? We love it when everything goes smooth and there's no bumps in the road. Don't we? And when there's bumps in the road, we don't like it. But it gets exciting, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. Well, we all need to listen to that. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Now, I used to pray for patience. I used to pray for patience, but one day I read that verse where it says that, and I said, that's it, God. I ain't praying for patience. No more. <laughs> no more. Why would I not pray for patience? Because how's the only thing that's going to bring it? Do I want tribulations? No, I hate it. But the Lord tells me to glory in it. Because He said, if you don't glory in it and you don't have it, you can't never get to where you can get there, that walk in that patience. Well, I guess without trials and tests, and the bigger the trials and tests, the bigger you can become, or bigger testimonies you can have, right? If you only have a little bitty test, how big of a testimony can you have? A little bitty one. But if you go through one of them huge monsters that we none of us like, right? You know how hard it is? You do know how hard it is, too, to glory in that tribulation, right? Ooh, it's a challenge. But it will work. I know I proved it true. It did work. I mean, the greater the tribulations, and the more you glory in it, and the more you stand on the Word, the greater become the testimonies. Like a guy told me the other day out there at the airport. He said, if you're so strong in faith, why don't you go down to a hospital and clean it out? I said, I've been there and done that. And he said, I don't believe that. I said, you should have been with me. In 2001, in October and November, when I went through the greatest test and trial of my life, when I walked through Cook's Medical Center for 30 days and prayed for nine children that were terminal, that was not going to live. And God did such awesome, miraculous miracles. And I said, even the chaplains threatened to throw me out of the place because I was getting everybody I prayed for healed. Hey, isn't that a wonderful? That's what we ought to all be living, Miss Jerry. We ought to be walking and we ought to be talking the Word of God and we ought to be going in and every one of those parents that had a child sick. You know what I had to do to every one of them? I had to find out what their sin was. Because not a single one of those children went to the hospital without a cause. Their parents had sinned somewhere. And when I got every one of those parents to repent of their sins and prayed the prayer of faith for those children, God healed every one of those children. 
including my two, Kelly and Caitlin. Awesome miracles he performed there. Awesome miracles. But what did he say we could ask for? If we keep his commandments and walk in love? What did he say? Anything. Okay. So, but it's still not easy to glory in tribulation, is it? But he says, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And then look what he says in patience. It doesn't stop there. And patience experiences and experiences hope. And hope maketh you not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So if the love of God is shed abroad in our heart, who can I love? Anybody. I can walk in love. It's a choice that I make every day. Am I going to walk in love today with all these problems? Or today, whenever we went out there and had that little problem with that truck, am I going to jump up and down and scream and fuss? And it ain't going to make nothing, it's just going to make it worse, wouldn't it? But I could help. I could have said, what? This thing's pouring oil. I can't believe another problem. I could have jumped up and screamed and fussed and done everything. And we still had to fix it. And it might have, we might have still been out there working on it. But you praise the king. And you worship him. And you thank him. And look at verse 6 there. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely will a righteous man, will you die, but for a good man, sometimes for a good man, somebody will even die. But not very often. How many of you, how many in here know somebody that's not a real close member of your family that you would be willing to give your life for? Let's say some old boy, just a good old boy out here, he comes out and says, uh, I need you to do something for me, and if you will, it'll cost you your life, but it'll save me mine. Ooh, that'd put us to the test, wouldn't it? Now, maybe for your children or your spouse or something like that, you might say, I would give my life for them. But for John Doe or Susie Q that I hardly know, I'm going to die for him or her. That's something. But Christ did that for us. Don't ask me to give my life for you. <laughs> It's like I wouldn't ask you to give your life for me because I wouldn't expect you to do it. That'd be quite a test, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Quite a test. Scarcely, very rarely, will you ever find one that will die for a righteous man. But God commanded His love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Well, this is a, a great and awesome thing that the Lord has done for us there. So, again, He's got this in verse 10, For if, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we should be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy... In God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. I think that so few people in the church realize what's included in the atonement. When Christ said, it is finished, everything was finished. Salvation was yours. 
Delivered from the devil was yours. Healing was yours. Everything. Power over the enemy. When he said it is finished, he didn't miss anything. It was all mine and yours. We have power over sin. Power over sickness and disease and everything. And I stand in awe that it took me over 40 years to learn this. But yet I was in church every time the door was opened. But when I learned it, wow, wow, praise the Lord. But we'll see what he has to say about that. Oh, let's go on down. Verse, let's go to verse 15, since we're getting a little short on time here. But not as the offense, so also the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment were by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Now, I want you to really think about this, verse 17. I want you to really listen to what he's saying. For if, there's that if again. For if by one man's offense, death reigned. Now, who are we talking about there? Who was that one man that sinned? Adam. That's exactly right. When Adam sinned, he fell from grace and death came to every human being. When God originally made us, how long did He plan for us to live? Forever. The body was made to regenerate itself and it was going to live forever. This body was not supposed to die when God originally designed it. It was not going to get old. I mean, He made Adam, I'm thinking, what, about a a 25 or 30 year old man. I mean, he made him full grown. I mean, they were not born. I mean, they were made. And of course, he took the man after he saw he was alone and took a piece out of him. And when he woke up, he had a full grown woman right by his side, just like him. You know, she was perfect in every way. But it says, if by one man's offense, Death reigned by one, then much more, not a little more, but much more, they which receive abundance of grace. Now, all of us that, us that learn this and we receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, what is the gift of righteousness? Who is the righteous one? Jesus. So, if we receive the abundance of this grace that He's given us and the gift of righteousness, which is Jesus, into our heart, we shall do what? What does it mean to reign? Oh, I know we're going to reign with Him when we all get to heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. No, that's not what he means at all. He said we're going to reign when? In life. You're going to reign in life. Right now. What does it mean to reign? It means to be in control. 
means, means to be in control of your circumstances. Speak to your mountain every day. If a problem arises, what can you do with the problem? With the promises of God? And you have received this gift of grace, uh, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. If you've got Him living in you, what kind of power do you have as a son of God? How much power do you have over the enemy? All power over the enemy. The king, did the king give you promises to say that whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you've received it and it shall be yours? Did he give you that promise? Then if we have those kind of things, he says once we receive the gift of righteousness and know this, we shall reign right now in life by one, Jesus Christ. That is such an awesome statement from the king. What does it mean to reign in life? Does that mean to be poor? Does that mean to be broke? Does that mean to be sick? Does that mean to let the devil run over you every day? No. To reign in life means to speak your world into existence and you can have whatever you say. I mean, it's amazing how many times today, as we were talking about doing something, I said, I can do that because I have the mind of Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. I mean, it'll make it what I undergo to do, I can do it because I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit in life. Is that right, young lady? That same Holy Spirit that lives in me lives in you, doesn't He? When you get a hold of who's in you, and you know He has no limitations. No limitations. Hey, to reign in life means to have all of your needs met. Why do you think the Lord said, let the poor say, I am rich? Why did He say, let the weak say, we are strong? Why do you think He said, I have the mind of Christ and nothing is impossible with me because I believe in Jesus? Now see, He made a whole lot of statements, but the average person in the church is just like I was most of my life. I didn't think He really meant that. I mean, me, a little man, be able to speak to my mountain and expect it to move? I don't believe that. Well, it never did move either. Isn't that a shame? I can go back and think of the day that my mother, as godly a woman as she was, and as much as she read the Word of God, how little she believed of what she read. <clears throat> I mean, here I was a grown man. And my mother's laying there in that hospital and had a breast removed because she had cancer. And they're trying to find a vein or an artery to give her an IV. And they can't find one. And she's saying, Thurman, they're hurting me. Please help me. And I'm just sitting there cringing, thinking, what could I do? What could I have done? Prayed. I didn't know. Was I in church? Yes. Did we pray in church? Yes, but I never dreamed God could answer a prayer in a hospital room with my mother laying there. Is that pretty dense? How many of you have ever been there and done that like I have? Oh, I mean to tell you, I feel stupid when I go back now and look where I was then as a Christian in the church and hear my own mother. I love this little girl. She's my mother. And I would have done anything I could to help my mother. Now then, when I would go home, 
and my mother's car wasn't running right, I could do something with her car because I was a mechanic. I mean, I went home one time and mother's uh, Chrysler that she had, I bought it for her. And my dad had gotten a whole lot older. And I remember the air conditioning system, the controls, it had an automatic air on it. And it had all kinds of problems that come up with it. She couldn't control the fan. She couldn't control the temperature. I told her, I said, Mom, no problem. I'll leave my car with you and I'll take yours home with me this next week. And I went to a salvage yard and I found a car just like hers that had a full manual air conditioning system on it. And I tore that car apart and I bought every piece. And I come back home and I totally disassembled everything under the dash and under the hood. And I changed every valve and every wire and every line. And I converted my cars, my mother's car from an automatic air conditioning to a manual air conditioning system. Until she died, that car, that thing worked perfect. Now, I could do that. But I'm sitting here beside her and they're trying to find a vein. And she's hurting and I don't even know enough to pray, oh God, please let them find a vein. But I learned a lot. I remember when we were over in Ireland, they come in trying to find a vein or an artery to give a man an IV, and they stuck him several times, and they couldn't find one. The girl said, I'm going to have to go find somebody else to get one. Cheryl jumped up and said, honey, pray. Isn't that amazing? Why didn't I think about that? A woman's quicker than a man. you know. So I said, oh, sure. So I said, Father, in Jesus' name, let this woman get a vein right now. Thank you. It's done in Jesus' name. I said, now you can get one. Well, she said, okay, we'll try one more time, but if I don't get it this time, we'll have to go get somebody else. I said, you're going to get one. She just barely stuck the skin when the blood just come gushing out. She said, wow, I need to take you with me. Now, what did I learn to do? Pray and pray in faith, right? Does that make any difference? Oh, yeah. Well, let's, if Cheryl said, well, honey, why don't we try to pray? I said, okay, we'll try. And if it's God's will, maybe he'll, there ain't no faith in either one of us there, is there? And God says, oh, I'm not that wishy-washy God. I'm a faith God, and if you don't ask me in faith, I don't show up. But when you ask in faith, what does the king do, Deborah? He shows up. Yes, he does. And he says here, if we'll learn these things. If we will learn this, we can reign when? Right now, in life. And how are we going to do it? By who? By our King, our Savior, our Lord. So, if you want to reign in life, you make sure He's in you. And that you're keeping His commandments and you're walking in love. It's worth it. it it's worth it. I don't care what you may think. I don't care how many ways the devil tries to attack you, walk in love. I'm going to master that, you know it. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to master it. Aren't we, Eldon? We're going to do it. No matter how many problems the devil throws at us in today, we're still going to walk in love, right? We're victorious. We're not conquerors, are we? What are we? More than conquerors. Not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. You know, we are the winners as God's children. What if we lay back and don't study the Word? Is the devil going to come in like a flood to get you? And then who's going to be the winner? The devil will be. He'll beat you. If you don't have the Word hidden in your heart, 
There's only one thing you can do to come against the devil. And that's the Word. If you don't have the Word hidden in here when he attacks, before you can go get the Word and study it, chances are he may very well have taken you out. Because he's out there to steal, kill, and to destroy. And he's good at what he does. Very good. But if you're walking in obedience, therefore, in verse 18, therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now, who are those many that were made righteous? Who are they? Hey, I'm one of them. Are you one of them? If you're a child of God, are you the righteousness of God in Christ? Does it say in the Word, the prayers of a righteous person availeth much? Somebody said, well, I wished I could be righteous like you, Thurman, so I could get my prayers answered. If that's the way you see yourself, you won't never get your prayer answered. But if you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ because the King made me righteous. When you say, I, give me somebody to pray for. What do you mean? We've got a need here. Give me somebody to pray for. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm a child of the King of the universe. And He's in me. And He says, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I can have it. And when you start praying in faith like that, you'll get to see what happened to Eldon's friend, Dr. Gary Young. When I prayed for him a few months ago with a crushed back. And him in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I was on the telephone on Sunday night. He called Eldon and asked Eldon if Cheryl and I would come out there the next day to pray because on Tuesday he had fell out of a tree and broke his back. Eldon called us. We said, sure, we'll come. But I told him over the phone, I said, Eldon, when you tell him, tell him to be sure and call me tonight, I want to talk to him personally before I come out there tomorrow. Ten o'clock at night, he finally called after they had made their airplane reservations and everything. And I told him, I said, Mark eleven twenty three. As a son of God, we're going to reign when? Now. And we are the righteousness of God in Christ because He made us righteous, right? He did it. Not by what you and me did, but what the King did. We're sons and daughters and righteous sons and daughters. Then Mark eleven twenty three. Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe with your heart, you can have it. So I prayed the prayer of faith for Dr. Gary Young on Sunday night at 10 o'clock and guaranteed him that my Jesus, the King of the universe, would do a supernatural healing on his back. And instantly God healed that man's broken back. And he was up running up and down the stairs, and he's still running up and down the stairs. Eldon went out to a meeting the other day in Toronto, and he told everybody about what God had done with his back. And one of the th- when I asked God to do a supernatural healing, I didn't realize what he was going to do. But when they do an x-ray, and he had copies of the x-ray, and Eldon saw them, that when the doctors done the x-ray, they looked in, and the spot in the back where the disc was crushed, it's invisible. You can't see it. So when they said, Gary, don't bend over. You're in pain. He said, no, I'm fine. They said, you can't be. You have no disc in your back. Isn't that what he said? Eldon was there. He saw it. 
And God did a supernatural healing so that the x-ray equipment that we have shows no disc in his back where his back was broken and pulverized. But today the man has no pain and can run and play and do anything he wants to do. Is God an awesome God, Miss Jerry? What can the king do? Anything we can believe him for, right? What is the limitations of God on this earth? You and me. Whatever we say in faith, believing with our mouth, or speaking with our mouth, believing with our heart, He will do it if you believe it. And then to see this man that was laying on his bed from Tuesday till Sunday in excruciating pain, and in just like that, praying a prayer of faith, quoting the Word of God, and the man jumping out of bed and running up and down the stairs. And of course, the next day, Cheryl and I got to go out there. He picked us up at the airplane, and we drove all over the place, and he showed us all kinds of stuff, and we got to teach him and his people the Word of God. We was out there two days. It's awesome. When are we going to rain? Hey, do you consider that raining? I do. When you pray those kind of prayers for people to see God show up for you, you're doing something the king likes. You've stepped into faith. You've stepped into a little bit of love anyway. Just think, if you and me could walk in 100% of the God kind of love. What do you say we could get, Deborah? Ooh, don't you like that? Ooh, I like that. Anything we ask, he will do. So is it worth going the extra mile to walk in that God kind of love? I think so. Because if we do that, we get to reign in life right now. And then the last verse, or last, yeah, a couple of verses in the last. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. That's verse 21. And then in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And what is God's answer about sin to us? What are we supposed to do to sin? How much sin are we supposed to have? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Are you dead to sin? Are you? How easy is it to resurrect this dead beast? Oh, you can do it quick as I can, in case you, Deborah. She says in a heartbeat. Every time we sin, that's what we've done, is resurrect this beast and step back into sin. How hard is it to stay dead? It's almost impossible, isn't it? But we know it's not impossible because God told us to do it. If He told us to do it, He would never tell us to do something that's impossible. But He didn't say it would be easy. In fact, He said it would be difficult. But can we do it? Yeah. We're going to do it. Because I know the day that we meet the requirements of walking in His kind of love, that's the day that His Word will come to pass. Just like He said, you can ask me. For anything you want to, and I will do it for you. And that's worth the cost, isn't it? How would you like to be there? How would you really like to be there? And I think about these poor little children down at Dallas Children's or Cook's Medical. Especially down Dallas Children's the other day. So many of them had limbs missing. 
How would I like to walk into the love walk that I could walk into that place and a little child with a leg missing and walk up at my arm and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you give this child a brand new leg? And it just come out in the little child. Would you like to be able to do that? Oh, would I love to be able to do that. Well, it's available. The king says if we can believe him, we walk in his love. He'll do it, didn't he? Nothing is impossible if we believe and we keep his commandments and do what he says. But let me tell you, it's not going to be easy. The devil will make it nearly impossible, I guarantee you. But I think we ought to shoot for it, don't you? I think we ought to shoot for it. I would love to be able to go to... I mean, it was so, so glorified God for me to walk through Cook's Medical Center five, six years ago and see those nine babies healed. Oh, oh, if I could just go back down there and I could walk in, just think, if you and me could walk in that 100% pure God kind of love, if we could do that, then we wouldn't even have to worry about those people's sins. The king says, whatever you ask me for, I'll do for you. So you walk up to the little child and say, Father, I forgive their sins. I know you have because I even do it. Because you told me that if I forgive anybody's sins, they're forgiven. So I'm laying my hands on this child and I'm asking you to give him a new leg. And that little leg says, Wouldn't you love to see God do those kind of things? There's been a very few men that's ever walked on this earth that's been able to walk there. But there has been a few. And if they've done it, that means it is an obtainable goal for every one of us. If we're willing to pay the same price those men did. I would love it, wouldn't you? Oh, I can't think of anything. I remember the day that I saw Benny Hinn. I went to one of his crusades here in Dallas. And they must have had 10 or 15 of those kind of little children in wheelchairs down in front. And I saw Benny come out there and get on his face before God, before 10,000, thousands of people. And cried and says, God, I will do anything if you'll heal these babies. I thought, wow. And I really believe he meant that. But he's not got there yet. Because I've never seen a child like that healed at one of his crusades. Not one. There's something we're missing. Something we're missing. There has been a few men that's walked in history that God has done that for. But not very many. Benny Hinn's not one of them. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, that man was Smith Wigglesworth. Yep. Now, that man, he, God, he, he spoke the word. Smith Wigglesworth walked in such love and such power with God when he was staying in the home of that man in England. And that night he was in a wheelchair. And he said, Sir, how did you lose your legs? And he said, I was born without them. He said, I've never had any legs. They were missing right above his knees. Smith didn't pray for him. He said, in the morning when the shoe store opens, go down and buy you a pair of shoes, the color and the size you want. He said, what am I supposed to do? He said, put them on your nubs. And Smith got up and went to bed. The guy, he was dumbfounded. He went and went to bed and went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, God woke him up and said, in the morning you go to the shoe store and do what my servant told you to do. He said, that man didn't sleep no more that night. But said, when the 
shoes store open the next morning. He was sitting in front of it in his wheelchair. He went in and said, I want to set a low quarter black size 8 Oxford shoes. The man goes and gets them and said, would you like me to wrap them for you, sir? He said, no, I want you to put them on me. He said, sir, you don't have any feet. He said, I know. Put one right here on this nub. So the man reached up and tucked the shoe and put it on the nub. And it said a foot went into the shoe and a leg formed and it went right down on the floor. He said, now put the other one on the other one. And he did. And it said the man got up and walked out of the shoe store on his new shoes with his new feet and his new legs. Now, how many men do you know that has that kind of power with God? I don't know anybody alive today that has that kind of power. But Smith Wigglesworth had that kind of power. Smith Wigglesworth stood before thousands of people in Sweden after the city and the state had given him a command, you will not pray for another person in this state. If you do, we'll lock you up. Because he just went to a hospital and cleaned it out. Everybody in the hospital got healed. He just went through there and touched them in the name of Jesus. And every person there was healed. And the lawyers and the doctors come together and filed, uh, made a law that in Sweden, which is still on the books today, it's impossible to go to a hospital to anoint somebody with oil and speak in the name of Jesus. If you do, you get locked up because it's Miss Wigglesworth. But he went back over there for another crusade. And thousands of people in the park, he spoke one night and said, tomorrow night we're going to have a healing crusade. They said, Smith, you can't anoint nobody with oil. He said, the God I serve don't need my hands. He'll use yours. He said, you bring your hands with you tomorrow night, and you bring your anointing oil with you tomorrow night. So they did. Thousands of them came. He said, after he preached an hour or two, he said, now everybody that's here has got a sickness I want you to anoint yourself with your own oil. You can do what you want to to your own body. He says, you can anoint your body with oil, and you can lay your own hands on your body. There's no rule against that. I just can't do it. And he said, when I pray, the God I serve is going to heal all of you. He said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And everybody in the group was instantly healed. How would you like to have that kind of power with God? Whoa! Isn't that awesome? So, when we see men that can walk like this with God, it's available to every one of us. But Smith Wigglesworth paid the price. When somebody asked him, what's the longest you've ever prayed? He always said about 30 minutes. You never prayed longer than 30 minutes? He said, no, but I never go longer than 30 minutes without praying. How many of us meet that criteria? Virtually none of us. Sometimes I go all day. And maybe talk to God once or twice. You know, I can get busy with the world. Can y'all? You can do just like me. You can get so busy doing things, all of a sudden you think, God, Lord, forgive me. I hadn't even thought about you in four hours. I know none of y'all ever done that besides me. But we do that, don't we? Sure we do. Father, in Jesus' name, we're thankful for the Word. We thank you that you see us dead to sin. Lord, help us to keep this flesh dead to sin and walk in your love so that we can meet all of the criteria of your word so that when we speak in your name, you will do exactly what you said and you will answer our prayers and do anything we ask you for. And may you be glorified as we strive to get to this point so that when we pray for people, Lord, you will show up and do great and mighty things that's beyond 
our wildest dreams. And Lord, help our dreams that our dreams can become wilder than we've ever thought about so that we can have the faith for these great things so that when we speak in your name, it'll happen. That way people will know that you're alive and well today. And you say it'll bring much fruit and much glory to your name. And we want to glorify you, Lord, in all we do because only you are worthy to be glorified. Lord, help us to walk holy and obedient to your word. And bless every one of us as we go from here tonight that we may do something great for your kingdom this week. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.